And I don't know where I came up with it, but it kind of helped me push through a lot of my fears. And even today, when I start something new that can seem big and intimidating, I tell myself that it's an experiment. And as a perfectionist, it really helps because I'm like, oh, it's just an experiment. So when I've done um, tweets every day with the Tweet 100 Challenge, it was just an experiment. Welcome to Becoming an Epic Being with your host, Sukoon. As a conscious living facilitator, my mission is to help you young adults navigate through the confronting issues of your generation, question conventional beliefs, and choose authenticity, because that is where your true joy lies. So get ready to step up your game and jump on the ride as you begin the journey towards the next stage of your self-evolution. Samantha, how are you? Good. It's nice to see you. Likewise. It's so great to finally see the face behind the voice I've been hearing on Twitter. It's amazing. (laughs) How do I pronounce your name? Sukun. Sukun. Okay. That's what I thought, but I just want to make sure I wasn't going to say it wrong. (laughs) Yeah. How was your morning so far? It's good. I'm enjoying my coffee. There's a bit of sunshine. Uh, I live in Canada, so it's still winter-ish. So it's nice when we have some sun. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you for joining me. It's great to have you here. Um, I obviously am very mesmerized by your journey from what I've heard so far from, you know, having undergone self-doubt and low confidence to now being the queen of Twitter spaces. <laughs> Can't wait to like deconstruct how this happened for you. Yeah, so I will give you a bit of my backstory. Mm-hmm. I worked for the House of Commons of Canada for 12 years. I, I think I was 22 or 23 when I started there. So I was pretty young. And I got this permanent full-time job. So I was like, all right, I'm set for life. Um, And after being there for 11 or 12 years, I realized that even though at that point I had a really great network and I was established and I was going to be able to retire young and uh, have have vacation time and everything. Mm -hmm. And I'd gotten my dream job. I realized it wasn't my dream anymore. And so- I quit my job and it was really hard to decide to quit, but I quit and started doing some freelancing and online work with my husband. I do online marketing with him, but I mostly wanted to quit to do these, these other things, like maybe start a podcast or write a book or start a blog. And I didn't do anything for four years after I quit my job. I just kept waiting to be ready, waiting to know what my niche was, waiting to just understand even though I would write these blog posts and save them in all my drafts and all different yeah. kinds of notebooks um they weren't I never thought they were good enough and I thought like well I don't really know what I'm saying so I won't put anything out I'll just wait till it's more clear and so finally a year ago I decided like if it's been four years and so at that point I was 38 I realized that if I didn't start doing something I was not going to do it. And I didn't want to be 60 and then realize I didn't do anything. So I was like, okay, I have to start doing stuff now. Oh yeah. So that was like your moment of awakening where you were like, I have to snap out of this and start functioning differently. Love that. And I'm just curious, like you said that the house of commons was your dream job at one point. So what was the image you had in your head um, that didn't match up to what, what was happening in reality? And you hence you realize that this is not for me. I guess I, most of my career there, I was an administrative assistant. I gave second language tests. I worked in many different departments helping out. So I never had really my dream job, but about a year and a half before I quit, I did get my dream job, which was to be the event coordinator. Mm. And 
for a few years, I was the assistant to the event coordinator and I loved it. And so even when she was going to retire, I thought there's no way I'm going to get this job. Uh, somebody else will be able to get it, but I applied anyway and, and planned really hard for my interview. And so I ended up getting the job and I love doing that job, but that was what was really weird is because I did get my dream job. And then yeah, that's what you realized, thought anyway, this is yeah. what you love doing. And this wasn't the case. So that's really interesting. Yeah. And I loved the work and I loved the people, but it still wasn't my dream anymore because I would see people online that would travel the world or could move to a different country. And mm. the House of Commons isn't going anywhere. I was going to be stuck in Ottawa forever. And so I'd, when I would see things like that, I would be like, oh, I want to do that. And then I'd be like, oh, wait, I can't. And then I would see people that wrote a book and then, I, and then I would think, well, I can't do that because who's going to want to listen to me? I just work for the government. I have nothing interesting to say. So it was just these little things of realizing that what I felt inside, um, kind of like feeling like the way you feel when you're in alignment with something like, oh, this feels right. Mm. And everything kind of works out and you're excited. I still loved my work. I loved my job but I didn't have that same excitement or that feeling of this is where I'm supposed to be. And, and it was really hard to make the choice to quit and do something else because I had these, all these external things that would show me that that wasn't the right choice. Like I had no idea what I was going to do. I didn't have this plan to go and be an online creator. There was no Twitter spaces then. And I had no idea for a book. I mean, I had vague ideas, but nothing really solid. <laughs> And um, making that choice for myself to not be responsible, to give up a pension and benefits and sick days and security. Like I never really have to worry if there's a problem with the economy because I work for the government. So there's, I'm going to find a job and things will work out. And I just gave it all up. So it was a really hard decision to make. Wow. Well, clearly. And it's interesting that you mentioned that you struggled with a lot of doubt when you entered the online space. And this is, of course, coming from someone who has worked in the House of Commons. And so it's meant to be a high achiever. And yet you had the self-doubt. So why do you think this happens? Like there are so many cases like that where people are clearly achievers, but they still have this constant state of self-doubt. Like what drives this? Yeah, so I feel like the best way to describe it is the term imposter syndrome, which um, there's, I think there's two types. So I'll just mm -hmm. briefly say what the two types are. So there's the type where you're starting something new and you feel imposter syndrome. There's also imposter syndrome where you've been doing a job for years and you still feel like an imposter. And I experienced that kind of imposter syndrome, but more recently I've experienced the imposter syndrome of starting something new and feeling like I have nothing to contribute here. I don't belong here. People are going to know that I shouldn't be writing. I'm just a mom and I'm, I'm an older millennial. And mm -hmm. I, you know, like you say, like, oh, you work for the House of Commons and you think that that's, uh, you know, it's a high achieving thing. But for exactly me, like, right. oh, I just fell into it. So I don't really deserve it. It's not really special, you know, to me. So I don't see it that way. And so I just think like, oh, I'm just a boring person who's going to want to listen to me. And, and then I would write things out if I wrote a tweet or thought of an idea for, a thread or an essay or a blog post, I would look at it and think, oh, it's so good. And then the next thing you know, I would look at it and read it and think, this is the worst thing I've, anyone has ever written. And then I would not post it. So I, I had all these fears and insecurities around what I would say, how I would say it. I guess it's like a combination also of perfectionism, yeah. fear of being judged, fear of being ridiculed, 
thinking that people in my real life, but even if they're not in my real life, like what would they think of me like saying this, like, who am I to, to, to talk about stuff? I'm not a psychologist to tell you to pursue your dreams and here's the reasons why. <laughs> yeah, I know you've given this away, but I think it's worth demystifying what imposter syndrome really is for those of our listeners who aren't perhaps familiar with the term. Um, so would you just mind describing it in your words with your understanding of it? Yeah, so to me, imposter syndrome means you're doing something that uh, whether it's your first time doing it or not, that you're, you are able to be there. You are able to do this, this job or this thing. Like for example, me going on a podcast, I'm, I'm not a radio broadcast person. My book's not even done. I don't even know if I deserve to be here. So I feel like an imposter. I feel like I am pretending to be something that I'm not, that I'm lying to you in a way and I'm tricking you all and then one day you're going to figure it out and then you're going to come back to me and say you lied to us and you're not really this person and how dare you be here yeah. but it's like a preemptive way of, of a protection against that judgment and ridicule but also a way to to stop us from reaching our potential because we feel anything we try to do we feel like we don't deserve to do and so I think there's a big part of also worthiness and self-love in it as well. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really well articulated. And just to add to that, the essence of imposter syndrome really is constantly doubting yourself and your abilities, despite all that you're able to do and are fully good at. But this self-doubt is always coming in the way of underestimating your capabilities, um, because no matter how much you do and whatever you, whatever else you prove, like it just does not seem to register in the bloody mind. Because you're always like externalizing your success to things outside of you. Like this happened because of that, which may have no correlation at all. And it's really funny, but do you think this is something that ties back to self-worth? Because this is something I keep going back to again and again, you know, just in terms of how we define ourselves. Like we're so used to um, attaching our sense of self-worth, like titles or what we do and things we achieve and we haven't achieved enough, then we aren't good enough and so on. Like, do you see any link there between the two at all? Yeah, I think that the people that I've seen or that have talked to me the most about imposter syndrome are definitely high achieving people that never feel like they arrive. And also, like you said, like those external validations. And so the people that I see that that talk about imposter syndrome, like they can have many achievements, many awards, um, mm. tons of titles and degrees, and then still feel like they're still not good enough. Yeah. And I think it's also that I know for me, and I am sure that it also affects other people is that my self-worth comes so much from external. Like, even if it's, I'm a mom or I'm a wife, mm. or I own a house, or I rent a house, or I, I eat this kind of food, or I have this job, like all those things are me. And then yeah. it's really hard for me to realize that I exist in who I am and I don't need anything. It doesn't matter any of those outside things. I could be a mother or not a mother. And, and all those things to me, I, I put all these labels on myself. As we all and, do. It's just yeah. our conditioning. It sucks, but that's just the reality. <laughs> it's true. And that's why I have two daughters. They're 13 and 14. And I try to get them on those labels, but they put on the labels anyway. And I'm like, no, yeah. please. But it's, it's just the way society is and also I think uh it it seems there's been studies that have said that imposter syndrome affects women more but I've had a lot of men talk to me about imposter syndrome that they are affected by it too so I think that probably as women we 
have it a bit more, but just because we're more sensitive to how people perceive us and are we being too assertive and are we too bossy and are we too pushy and maybe I should be quieter, maybe it should be louder, maybe they're not listening to me, maybe my idea was no good. And Mm -hmm. so I was even talking to a, a male friend recently about being a creator and about my job in the past saying that I just did everything. I I got burnt out at the end of my job being an event coordinator. And I just, I never said no, even though I said, Hey, I can't handle this. And I I really can't take any more. They would say, I'm sorry, you have to do this job. And I would just keep doing it. I never did not do it. And he said that that's probably because I'm a woman, because that if I was in that position and I've been in that position, he said, I just didn't do it. And I was like, yeah, it didn't even cross my mind. I'm like, all right, you said I have to do it. So I will, even though I'm burning myself out. Yeah. I guess what this really shows is that we all care and think about what people think of us. And anyone who says that I don't care what people think is lying. But with that, do you think it's possible to reach a stage where you care about others, but not to the point of having imposters and holding yourself back? Like, do you think it's even possible to separate the two at all? I... Yeah, I think that you can, because I know that I have less imposter syndrome now than I did before. And I still care what people think, Yeah, but I'm not as affected by it. And so I think that kind of like anything that you do, it's sort of like a mental training where, for example, I host Twitter spaces. So I have this live conversation and there's multiple people that want to speak. And how do I coordinate me talking and sharing an idea, remembering who has to speak next introducing them, muting myself, making sure somebody else is not interrupting and and just keeping track of all that. I wasn't very good at at the beginning and I got better and better the more that I did. So now I've done over a hundred and it's pretty seamless now. I know what I'm doing, but it's like I've created these pathways in my brain so that now I could talk and observe myself talking and realize, oh, I'm talking too fast. Oh, I'm going slower. I should slow down. Oh, it's been a while now. I better stop where the beginning, I would just talk and not know how to stop myself, but I, I was training my brain how to do it. And I think it's the same with imposter syndrome and creating and put yourself out there that you do things. And even though I care what people think, I don't care as much because I, I also have taken in a lot of validation from others of, oh, I love your content. I like what you're saying. And it could still hurt when people say things that are discouraging or think that I didn't do a good job, but yeah. it doesn't hurt as much. And, and I, it's kind of sad because it, it's not a one-to-one ratio. It's not like one good comment and one bad comment. I mean, I need a ton of good comments yeah. that the bad comments don't seem as bad, but I think it's that training of, well, I'm going to do this anyway, and I feel good doing it. And then teaching myself that I, I like the, what I'm producing and to not be as swayed and afraid of what other people say. So have you just like reframed your inner belief and dialogue by just doing the stuff repeatedly and making that a habit and getting positive feedback because that's what's helped you like push beyond your limitations and go beyond your comfort zone yeah I think that for me um that's exactly it it was the taking action that has helped me to get the confidence because I thought for years that I would get more confidence just by waiting for the right time exactly we all think we keep waiting for like motivation to strike or confidence to strike and it never really happens unless you really put yourself out there and get up and do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so for me, every time that I've done something, my experience in the past year has been on Twitter. So I 
did ship 30 for 30, where I had to do these 30 essays. Yeah. That's how I started because I knew I, I needed kind of a group and a challenge to get me going, even though I don't really like challenges because I don't like the pressure, but I was like, all right, I'll just do these 30 days. Mm -hmm. But since then I've realized that, that a couple of things that they incorporate in ship 30 for 30, I didn't mean to, but I kind of continued with some other challenges sort of that I've done on Twitter that has helped me to continue mm -hmm. to be a content creator. So having a clear end date, that's not too long away. So 30 days, or um, I did tweet 100, which is a hundred days. And whenever I've done Twitter spaces, I always had a set date of doing three or four weeks so that you have time to push through those fears, but you have an end date. So that at the end, if you really hate it and it's really not aligned with who you are, or what you want, you can stop, but you at least gave yourself enough time yeah. to push through and try it out. So I found that anything that I've done, um, that's really helped me. So having a really clear end date doing it with people. So whenever I've done Twitter spaces, I had a co-host so that I didn't show up alone. Yeah. But then, that really helps. And, yeah. And then on Twitter, you make friends so easily when you start creating content. So then I've had friends around that will comment on my things or I can DM them when I'm discouraged. So having somebody or a group around you to help keep you accountable and also doing a challenge that stretches you a bit, but doesn't burn you out. So for me doing ship 30 for 30, it was these, um, 30 essays. I had to do about 250 to 300 words a day, which Damn, was hard. Girl, that's a lot. <laughs> How did you even come up with that? Like, that's my next question. <laughs> I just, they, so they told me that the challenge was, and then I was, I took ideas from old blog posts or things I had written and, or just read an article and just kind of wrote Summarize. my ideas about it. Wow. Yeah. So train so, your mind to put your ideas in whatever way, but just do it consistently from what I'm hearing you say. Wow. Yeah. So ship 30 for 30, that's like a big part of it is that it kind of just trains you to write fast, edit fast. Don't overthink it. Just get it out there because especially mm -hmm. at the beginning, whenever you're on any platform and you have almost no one looking at you. So let's say you have a hundred followers or less or whatever, nobody's really going to pay attention to your content, but it mm -hmm. feels like the most intimidating and scary time. And now like me and my friends that we've gotten a bit ahead in our follower count. We think back to that time and how scared we were. And we were like, oh, we should have taken more advantage of trying more things and doing more mistakes because we were afraid of failing, but nobody's looking. And so it's the best time because you could try so many things and it doesn't matter if like one person doesn't like you, it's not the end of the world because you're just starting out. And so um, I try to encourage people that are starting out to just have as much fun as possible and write about as many things as possible, because the thing that you love talking about, it's probably not what you think. A lot of people start out talking about productivity or talking about how to um, be a leader in their job because that's what they're really good at. But it turns yeah. out that what they love creating content about is something completely Dif different, like, <laughs> like how to be a, a great dad or how to, um, you know, have a good relationship with your wife. Like I've seen people make these changes in their niche, but they did not know that that was going to happen. They had to start creating in order to figure it out. And I think that's where you also get the confidence after a while is you have this feeling of peace and joy from what you're creating. And then it doesn't really matter what people say, mm. you know, when you, when you can find and that that's the spot. shift, that's the <laughs> yeah. shift you want to look at, right. By practice and getting somewhere, getting the right results and feedback and then at some point eventually you stop caring as much about what people think you still care because you want to add value of course and uplift the lives in whatever way but like you just stop caring about the critics of it right because mm -hmm. you yourself are feeling better about what you're putting out there 
and your own um, ideas and stuff. So that's such a cool thing. I love that. Well, thank you. And I love to hear about the mental models that you were talking about that have helped you to like, you know, navigate through your work even today. Yeah. So I, for me, I, I have the, my main mental model that has helped the most. And I don't know where I came up with it, but it kind of helped me push through a lot of my fears. And even today, when I start something new that can seem big and intimidating, I tell myself that it's an experiment. And as Mm -hmm. a perfectionist, it really helps because I'm like, oh, it's just an experiment. So when I've done um, tweets every day with the tweet 100 challenge, it was just an experiment. Let me see if I can write tweets. I really can't write tweets. I'm awful at them. And I'm intimidated. Every time I would write a tweet, I thought it was the worst thing ever. And so I just wouldn't post them. So then with doing the tweet 100 challenge, it was just an experiment. And so by day 50 or 60, which was really like two months later of doing one tweet a day, every single day and telling myself, it's just an experiment. It doesn't matter what I put out that at that point I realized, oh, I know how to write tweets now. I think I know what I'm doing. And (laughs) then I, I upped it to doing four a day in order to try to grow my following more, but I didn't do that at the beginning. I just started out with I'm going to do one a day and see how it goes. And even with Twitter spaces, I found somebody to co-host with and said, let's do this for three weeks and see how it goes. And I've had many co-hosts over the past year and people have come and gone or our lives have changed. And so our, our schedules didn't align, but it was always an experiment. And so there's no pressure to make it perfect. There's no pressure to know everything or set it up because In the past, I would think before I do anything, I need to have a website. I need to have an email newsletter ready. I need to have a YouTube channel. I need to have all these things perfectly set up and the perfect graphics and have the perfect branding. And so that was another thing that stopped me a lot was thinking about having to have all these elements rather than just trying and putting content out there and then building as I go. Wow, that's powerful just being able to detach and see everything new as an experiment that's really cool and so that just helps you to like get up and do it right and would you add anything else to it yeah and then i give myself um an end date of of the the thing so if it's for twitter spaces it's three weeks i'm doing a newsletter and so uh that's only once a week so and and i know it's a little bit more of a commitment so i said like Mm -hmm. i'll do it for six months and then i'll see how i feel if I want to continue or if I don't want to continue, but I feel like having an end date gives you the freedom to, to push through and not give up, but having a, well, this is a commitment forever makes it have too much pressure for me personally. And so I would just stop because I would be like already dealing with the pressure of wanting it to be good and then thinking it's forever. So this is so hard right now. So it's going to be hard forever, Mm. but nothing is hard forever. It's, always a challenge or not easy. Like when I come up with tweets now, it's much easier than it used to be, but it's not a walk in the park. It still takes some time to think about it. And sometimes I'm in the flow and sometimes I'm not. And even with spaces, sometimes I feel like doing them. Sometimes I don't, but I have a commitment of the times I'm going to show up and do them. But every time it gets a little bit easier and a little bit easier. And with my journey as well, another I guess it's sort of a mental model is that I never add on things until I'm ready. And so even with my newsletter, I started it about a month ago. And um, so right now it's March. So I think I started it in February or like Mm -hmm. late January, but people told me in October, I should do it because I had 3000 followers. You should start a newsletter, but I already had a lot on my plate. I wanted to focus on what I was creating then with 
doing spaces. I have a creator group on Discord that I, um, I help people with their goals. And I was tweeting a lot. And so it just didn't seem like the right time to add something on. And so even though I should add it on, I decided I'm not. I'm not adding things until I feel ready to do them and that I know right. I have the energy and, and the capacity to hold them so that I don't fall apart because I don't want to be on this journey and then suddenly get so burnt out that I just never show up again. Well, it's pretty clear that practice makes progress. And it still makes me wonder that do you reckon it's possible to ever reach a stage where you get so good at doing what you do that you completely get rid of that fear of judgment, like it just vanishes from your system? I think that it's possible to be better, but um, there are there are people that are always going to be able to hurt you with, with their judgment. And so it, whether it's your parents or your siblings or a close friend from your childhood or other extended family, um, their comments will always hurt because we, we hold them in higher esteem. And so I think that for me, I'm able to let go of people if they make a sarcastic comment, but I made a typo once and then an old friend of mine who's never commented on anything. I didn't even know she was active on Twitter. She noticed my my grammatical error, I said someone instead of someone's. And she said, well, I certainly noticed because of your grammatical error. And why? <laughs> that's like, all she unnecessary. said. Woman, yeah. unnecessary. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, and it really hurt, but it's because she knows me in real life and she didn't interact at all. She didn't say, oh, I noticed you have all these followers. I noticed you're hosting these spaces and you're writing a book. That's so amazing. No, there was none of that. And it wasn't even, she didn't even send me a DM about it. It was just a public comment. And I was mortified and embarrassed if it was a normal person or like a normal, a, a stranger I didn't know. But so I think that probably those kind of people will probably always hurt a bit until you have more and more distance maybe from them as well and build up things. I think now if, if she or anyone else said something, I'd probably roll my eyes more, but this was a few months ago. And so I was still more insecure than I am now. So. I think that if somebody is struggling with fear of judgment and imposter syndrome and perfectionism and not creating or even not doing it consistently because of that, I think that if they just continue and keep pushing through and setting small goals and having end dates and finding people to go along with them who are interested in creating content or, or doing something scary like that, mm. that that will support them a lot more and that they will build their confidence over time. I wish that I could just have confidence or have an affirmation. So I have confidence or read a book and have confidence, but really it's doing stuff that gives you confidence and doing stuff that's scary. Sometimes now I can be invited on a podcast like yours and have mm -hmm. this conversation. But the first few, I was so nervous and I didn't, I didn't know what I was yeah, going I'm to say. I'm such a natural, like <laughs> such a pro from what I'm hearing from just looking at you. It's like, we never imagined that you have gone through the stage <laughs> of feeling like, you know, like underconfident or whatever. Yeah. So all I'm saying is if I can do it and, and I'm not young and I have kids and I'm a normal person, I had a boring government job that anybody can do it. Wow. Your journey is incredible, Samantha. Like, thank you for sharing and being here. It just shows the importance of pushing beyond your, you know, limitations and your fears and just doing it like you've discussed. So I think the main way to counteract fear is by confronting it and by doing the stuff that makes you fearful about it. Right. Yeah. And I think also that not making it into a bigger thing than 
it has to be. So I didn't start because I thought that if I did create content, it would have to be these big blog posts and I'd have to have a newsletter and I'd have to have all these resources for people. But really I needed to just start and share small little things of content in order to see what do I like talking about? What do people like hearing from me in order to find what I enjoy? Because if I would start out in these other areas, I thought maybe I would help women who want to quit their job or I'd want to talk to people about their spiritual journey which I like talking about in real life, but I don't love creating content about. And there's many things in, in my real life that I love, but I don't like creating content about it. And I didn't know that until I started. And creating a whole blog about something that you're not really sure about is not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, fair comment, because I guess that would only increase your self-doubt and hence increase imposters. Um, yeah, so not the best idea at all. So would you then say that it's ideal to focus on your strengths build on those capabilities and take it on from there? Yeah, I think so. But I think most of us know how to write because we, we yeah. write in school. And so creating content, even if, if you want to, if you're more of a, um, a visual artist and you like creating digital art, then maybe somewhere like Instagram where you're putting your digital art with your words is a good idea. I'm not super good at it. So I liked Twitter because I could put my, just my thoughts and I like ideas and thoughts. I like talking and I wasn't that good at it. So I did Twitter spaces as a way to train me to be a better speaker so that I could be ready one day to have a podcast. And so I think that for me, having something like uh, any kind of online social media where you can practice a skill and develop your skill, but it's something that doesn't last forever. Like a podcast can last forever, but Twitter mm -hmm. spaces disappear. So it was a really good way to practice. And then even sending out tweets like, yeah, so if somebody searched, they could see all the tweets I've ever written, but mostly yeah. they're only around for about 24 hours. So I could put out ideas and put them out. And then the next day put out something else and keep practicing. And so I find in um, places like that, like, you know, an Instagram or TikTok or, wherever you feel comfortable, do something that is a stretch to share your, your own personal ideas and viewpoints, but also that you do feel comfortable with the medium. And even if you feel not super comfortable, give yourself time to practice it. So I have a, a coaching client that I'm helping with um, him start his new business. And he wasn't sure what he should do. He says, maybe I should do a podcast. Maybe I should do YouTube videos. I don't know. So then I said, well, go do five or 10 and don't think about it. Just create them about whatever subject. And then after that, we will talk and see, did you hate it? Did you love it? Was it hard? Was it hard because it's really not what you want to do? Or was it hard because it's new and uncomfortable? And those are two different things. And you don't really know until you push through doing five or 10 of something in order to, to see like, okay, it's, it's uncomfortable because I really don't like this medium or it's uncomfortable because this is not what I'm supposed to do at all. Oh my God, 100%. I love that so much. Well, it's pretty clear that your journey is epic in more ways than one would typically expect, Samantha. And on that note, I want to ask you, what does an epic being mean to you? <laughs> uh, I think that an epic being is someone who, well, when I think about it, I, I just picture this like kind of a, a charismatic type of person that has a lot of confidence that uh, knows what they want to do, but even if they're not fully there, that they take the steps to get there. And so, uh, yeah, that is like, 
I, I'm not where I want to be, but wherever it is that I want to be, I'm going to take the steps to get there. And they're not afraid of pivoting. They're not afraid of, of judgment. And they're just, um, yeah, they have like, I guess, a lot of self-confidence. Amazing. And I think we've established that it's pretty possible to get there, right? I think you that it is. I had no confidence. Okay, none. <laughs> yeah. How do you think your girls compare? Like, I mean, at, at your age and looking at them now, are they far more confident? Or they also struggle with self-doubt and things like that? Yeah, I think they do have self-doubt. And I'm not sure if it's because because of their personalities. And so I, I think, you know, I'll, everyone's an individual. And so if my kids are individuals. And then also they have social media and TikTok and YouTube videos. Exactly. Which I did I not have. I had like nothing. Exactly I was just... I asked, yeah. <laughs> so I think that that causes more self-doubt in a lot of ways because they're just comparing themselves to these, you know, people with Instagram filters on or that they have even though they're kids that are creating content, they often have their parents in the background supporting them, hiring people to help them put out content and things, which isn't realistic for a normal person to do. Even me as an, as an adult creating content, I can't create as much content as a lot of other really big, huge mm. content creators because they have huge teams and that's what they do oh. full-time and, and I'm not exactly. there. So... Exactly. I can't expect that I'm going to be able to post across every single platform and have everything be perfect and edited when I can't afford to pay an editor and I have no time for an editor and anyway, all those things. Yeah. By the way, how far are you into the process of writing a book or are you done? I, I, I'm mostly done writing. It only took me about a month to write most of the content. And so I did that in August and then I have been slowly procrastinating rearranging stuff into the second draft and I'm not sure if wow. it's like my own imposter syndrome of like oh why am I writing a book about this I'm not an expert but then the more that I talk about this subject in spaces or on podcasts with you I'm like oh yeah. I think that I can talk about this it is like and- a real life <laughs> experiment for you right we're actually learning about it every day and then you can obviously extract ideas from your conversations on Twitter spaces and otherwise and just add them into your book like how amazing yeah. Yeah. And the book obviously is on imposter syndrome as well. Yeah. It's um, unless things change, it's going to be called the creator's guide to overcoming imposter syndrome. Oh my God. I think the world needs this right now. <laughs> I can't wait for this to come out. Like that sounds fascinating. And where else can people find you, Samantha? Besides Twitter, obviously. <laughs> uh, on Twitter, I am at Samantha Demers and it's the same handle on Instagram. I'm also on LinkedIn. If anyone wants to connect, I don't use it much, but I am on LinkedIn. Um, and those are my main channels. I have a newsletter I just started recently called Driven Creator. And I'm also starting a podcast in the near future, also called Driven Creator, where, where I'll interview other creators who are driven, who um, to talk about their journey, kind of like you're talking about mine. Oh, about wow. How I love they get that. There. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And personally, I love what I've seen on your newsletter so far. Like it's so articulate and so just like clear, simple ideas that people genuinely relate to. Like it's really authentic and super fun to read too. So please go and follow Samantha guys. Like she's amazing. And so is the content. Gotta see it to believe it. But thank you, Samantha, for putting all your ideas out there in the world and inspiring us all. And of course, thank you for being here today and sharing all your nuggets. Like, it's been a pleasure.